1: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with psychotherapist and author Darlene Lancer about the personality types that attract a narcissist and if a narcissist is capable of love. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. With me today, I have Darlene Lancer. How are you?
0: Oh, I'm just fine, and I'm really happy to be talking about this subject with you again. Thank you for having me on your show again.
1: Well, thank you for being here. And for those that don't know you, Darlene Lancer is an international relationship expert and media spokesperson on narcissism and codependency. Darlene Lancer is a psychotherapist and author of ten books, including the one we're going to discuss today: dating, loving, and leaving a narcissist. She's counseled individuals and couples for thirty years and coaches internationally. She has ten books; seven of them are eBooks, and they're available on. Amazon and other online book sellers, and her website is whatiscodependency.com. And if you go to her website and email her from there, we'll also have all this stuff in the show notes. You can get a checklist of narcissistic behaviors. And your book is going to be out on Monday, so people can pre-order your, your book as well. And you know, today we're gonna you know talk about your book, and you should be proud of yourself for putting out another book. You're really prolific in everything that you put out, and everyone loved the last episode you were on. So you know, we talk about uh, narcissism, narcissistic personality disorder a lot. But for those people that are new to the show, and this might be their first episode, uh, let's just go over what is narcissistic personality. Disorder right off the bat here.
0: Okay, sure. Now a lot of people use the word someone is narcissistic. uh, And I just want to clarify that there's narcissistic traits or qualities. That doesn't mean that the person has a a personality disorder, which is specifically defined uh, in the manual of that psychologists use. So that's something very clearly defined, and there's, you have to have five of the nine criteria, three that are essential, one that includes lack of empathy, another is that they have grandiose ideas about themselves, and sometimes it's just in their fantasy of who they are, and that they really have a strong need for admiration from other people. And then they have to have two more traits of a list of, there's many, uh, which include being very arrogant, having a sense of entitlement, and that's very typical. And it's also considered one of the most annoying traits for partners of narcissists. And often they exploit other people, take advantage of them to achieve their personal ends. So that's also very painful for people. And that they think that they're unique and special, that they like to associate with uh, high-status celebrities, you know, successful people, associate with high-status institutions, wear designer clothes, things like that. Um, And that they feel like they're special and unique and can only be understood by uh, special people. So those are some of the other traits, and you have to have five, including the three essential ones that I mentioned to begin with, to be have the personality disorder. And people should know, though, that narcissism exists on a continuum. So some people have mild NPD, and some people have very extreme, and in the extreme cases, they have more uh, sociopathic traits. Machiavellian, they're more cruel. They have more malice in the way they, they treat people and their intentions. They may have And be involved in criminal activity. And usually, the more aggressive they are, the more severe the narcissism. So, that's a clue, too.
1: So, within narcissistic personality disorder, there are more than one different type of narcissist. So, can you explain the different
0: types for everyone? Sure. Well, the type that most people associate with narcissism is called the grandiose narcissists. They used to be called the exhibitionistic narcissists. And those are the ones that like to be in the public eye or just doesn't even have to be in the public eye, but I mean, they show off. They might want to be the life of the party and the center of attention. You can think of them as more extroverted. Sometimes they're called extroverted narcissists. and. uh So they like a lot of attention that way. And they usually, in their mind, they have good self-esteem. They think very highly of themselves. And their mood is more upbeat, often. And But along with that, and they're often leaders, but they can be uh, domineering, very domineering. So they have more coping skills than the next type, which is considered the vulnerable or sometimes called introverted narcissist. And they're more moody and they have more, they're, they seem to feel more insecure. They can be just as selfish and self-centered and think how great they are, but they don't, it's more like I'm not getting the attention and the success that I deserve, and it's everybody else's fault, and their coping skills aren't as good. So they feel less like their self esteem is lower. They act, they're they're very difficult to live with because they have more mood swings. Now they're starting to see that it's kind of on a continuum because the the grandiose narcissist can get. That way too moody and and negative like that, but less less common they're le- they're less likely to be depressed, whereas the the vulnerable narcissists can get very depressed and they're more difficult to live with and then you have the malignant narcissist, and that's what I was referring to the one with that has more malice and is more vindictive. Um, they, when they don't get they, what they want, they can be very cruel, and they'll go after it. They're more paranoid. They're more sadistic and behave immorally. Uh, they're not bothered about guilt. They just like to create chaos. And so that's a malignant narcissist. And then there's another one. It's newer, and it's called the communal narcissist. And that communal narcissist uh, sometimes is in philanthropic organizations or uh, they seem to be very warm and agreeable. And instead of wanting to be maybe the most Uh, successful they want to be seen as the most trustworthy the most supportive and they try to achieve that by being extra kind and extra friendly they're usually outgoing like the grandiose narcissist Um, but they don't have to be seen as the most powerful like the grandiose is all about power they want to be seen as maybe the most giving and the most helpful and so and sometimes they're in the helping professions um, and they seem to be giving and of service. They may be in a religious organization. So when the true colors are seen, it can be very, uh, very shocking to people around them.
1: And I didn't have this on my question list, but I'm going to ask it to you because of the description of the last uh, narcissist that you had on there. So when it comes to codependency, because that's something that you're, you're big in, that, that's one of your bread and butter topics, uh, is a codependent person uh, narcissistic in a way? where they try to control situations as well?
0: Well, I think that narcissists are codependent. And there's been a little research showing that they have a lot of codependent tendencies. So they are very dependent. They need others a lot for their self-esteem and their admiration. And they may act independent until the relationship is threatened. But the reverse isn't true. So codependents aren't necessarily narcissistic. You know, they have to have those five criteria. They have the disorder. And many codependents are very empathetic to a fault. And uh, they feel, they empathize with the narcissists. They may learn details about their childhood and they feel sorry for them. And then they excuse abuse because of their empathy. And I always say love is no excuse for abuse. So I don't agree. Uh, They do have shared qualities. And my book actually goes into all the different qualities of narcissism and codependency and compares them. So they both share elements of uh, low self-esteem and need to control and dysfunctional. Boundaries, dysfunctional communication, they share that in common. But that doesn't make a codependent nurse assistant.
1: Yeah, because a long time ago, when I was at a codependence anonymous meeting, uh, a very, very long time ago, there was someone who was there, it was their first time, and they were just distraught. And their codependency brought on such a controlling aspect to things that they destroyed the relationship and they were just, it was eating at them. So there was that empathy there as far as they knew their process of what they were doing was um, a toxic behavior, but it's not necessarily them doing it from a place of, malice in a way because they truly did care about the other person um and you could see how badly they were hurting they just didn't know how to stop um being codependent and it was hard to see uh because everyone's level of codependency can be different it can rear itself i, I in my own opinion I believe codependency can rear its head in so many different ways that it's hard to sometimes see what, that some behaviors might be codependent because it can just manifest in so, so so many different ways. So, you know, for for those before we move on, for those people that are in that, what would you say to them as far as codependency goes? And some people may be looking at themselves, because I'm sure the question might come up for some people it Would within these situations is, am I the narcissist?
0: Yeah. And sometimes a narcissist will accuse their partner of being a narcissist. Okay. Falsely. So if you tend to look at yourself and take responsibility, you're not a narcissist because that's one thing that they avoid is responsibility for their behavior and their favorite Defense is projection. So they're calling you a narcissist. It's likely they're a narcissist. Um, you can't apply that to every, in every situation. But the point is that if you're willing to look at yourself and take responsibility, right there, that's probably a good indication that you're not a narcissist. Plus, if you empathize for any harm you've caused someone, then you don't even have the core elements of lack of empathy to qualify for NPD. So I wouldn't worry about it.
1: So in your book, you wrote, how do you know if a narcissist is capable of love? So can you explain that a bit more as for many people, that is... Confusing, And I don't know if it's something that can actually be answered fully, but uh, explain uh, this question.
0: Yes, I wondered about that for many years because I had a narcissistic mother. And sometimes she would act in ways that I was sure she didn't love me. And then sometimes she acted like she did. But maybe it was more about her than than me and and for a lot of the time I didn't feel like, well, just in general, I didn't feel like she really understood me or could see me. So when I was thinking about this question, and I did a lot of research on it, and I wrote, actually, there's a blog on my website that goes into it also. I started I realized that you have to first of all, you have to define what is love. It's not romance, it's not that initial uh, high you get when you're first dating someone that's not it uh, it's there's all kinds of different love there's love of family, members, maybe like you love a brother, the kind of love you have for a friend. Um, and then there's romantic love and then you have to think about well a narcissist will often say they love you and so what is their subjective experience versus do you feel loved and those are very two different things so are you defining love from the point of view of the lover or the lovee? and you might come up with different answers Um, and then Uh, People have tried to research this, and because love is so difficult to measure, instead of um, just trying to measure love, they ask people, well, how do you determine if your partner loves you? And this is people who aren't necessarily with the narcissist, but even in healthy relationships. And so I'm going to I go into this in the book, and I'll list a few of the things. So one might be that they spend quality time with them, that they give them gifts that might include money as well, that they perform acts of service, and that they touch them physically in an affectionate way, that they show interest in their their affairs and what they're doing, they provide emotional or moral support. And that they use words of affection when they're speaking to them. And also that they disclose intimate facts about themselves. So those were some of the things that people said. And that they felt loved when these occurred. And even in Relationships without a narcissist, often people don't feel like they're receiving, oh, I've mentioned eight, but not receiving all eight. And narcissists may do some of these things, or not all of them. And then you have to think about um, the narcissist has a different brain and different capacities. So they have certain traits that make it difficult for them to to love in the way that maybe someone else would love because, as I was saying before, they have difficulty seeing people as separate from them. They see people more as two-dimensional. It's hard for them to empathize. So if for you, you want... Your partner or your loved one to be able to empathize with you, then that's going to be difficult for a narcissist, and so maybe you won't feel loved in that situation um, but maybe it's important to you that they that they give you things maybe maybe that to you you feel loved when You receive material things, so that might satisfy you. Um, But it's hard for narcissists to hold a view of you that's consistent. It's called object constancy. When they get angry, they see you as a threat, as an enemy. And then you have, so all their loving feelings like disappear. Uh, This isn't something they can control. It has to do with how they're developed as infants and toddlers. Actually, codependents have problems with object constancy also, because they can flip from one minute I love you, and the next day I want to break up with you. Or they love someone, but let's say they're dating, and then when they're not away from them, they think of all these negative things. Uh, and then they're they're disappointed, and then they get back together, and then they're in love again. So this is something that has to do with psychological uh, development of their in childhood, and so that's a challenge for narcissists as well as codependent. Um, the other thing is they have narcissists have defenses that distort their perceptions. So uh, they might want to withdraw because closeness and being vulnerable is frightening to them. And they, I mentioned projection. And again, this is an unconscious defense mechanism, where rather than seeing themselves, they project parts of themselves onto you. So they may say, you're selfish. They don't realize that they're being selfish Uh, and they block things out. They deny things that are uncomfortable for them. Uh, So sometimes they do it intentionally and sometimes it's outside of their conscious control. So some of these things make it difficult for them in relationships and make it difficult to, to actually love if you think that, they need to appreciate that you have needs and desires and feelings that are separate from them, so they may not accurately perceive you. I know when my mother was dying; it's sometimes people see more clearly just before they die, and and she was commenting how she asked me something, and I said uh, an answer that was distinct from her experience and she said oh we're different and it was like she had this sudden insight like after all these years maybe the the her defenses were less or the narcissism was less uh in the last days of her life and and she rather than saying putting me down for being different. She was sort of like musing that we were different. It was sort of a revelation to her that we weren't the same or that I should be the same as her. So I tell people when they ask this question, is that it's the wrong question. It's not about, you know, does he or does she love me? Ask yourself, are you getting your needs met in the relationship and my book goes into how to get your needs met more effectively and how to communicate more effectively. I have scripts in there and strategies on how to approach a narcissist, which is different than in other relationships and to think about it differently, sometimes you have to explain to a narcissist, for instance, uh let's say your father is In the hospital, and you want the narcissist to come be with you, and they might say, Well, I'm busy. It doesn't seem important to them. But if you explain to them how this is going to impact you and how it's going to impact your feelings towards them and why it's important and how it's going to impact the relationship, they may think, Oh, I see. So you need me to be there to support you because then you will feel closer to me and will feel more like a couple and then then they will get their needs met also then it makes sense to them so they ha- you have to maybe spell out to them because they don't naturally empathize with your need they don't think oh yes i would that would be important to me they just expect you to be there So you have to kind of explain it to them and then they think, oh, I see. Okay. Yes, I'll come. Uh, And not take it so personally. It's just because they're, they're, they're handicapped in certain ways and how they think and how they feel.
1: So uh, my next question for you has to do with the personality types that attract a narcissist and, We hear from a lot of people, I keep on attracting narcissists into my life. Uh, I'm surrounded by them. What is it about me? What am I putting out into the world? Uh, How does one figure this out? Like, where does someone begin? And and I guess kind of fit in there with like the personality types that are, I guess, the dominant type of personalities that uh, have these things happen to them.
0: Okay, well a narcissist needs what they lack. So they're gonna need someone who's to be empathetic, it's gonna provide them some more emotion because they don't want to be vulnerable and feel much of anything than anger. Uh so if you're in And to be helpful, and if you're a good listener, rather than talking about yourself, that makes you a good fit. Uh, You're a giving person, and they like to receive. And so you're giving, you're empathetic, you're a good listener. You don't like to be the center of attention, you rather, you don't like confrontation you rather go along to get along, that's fine because the narcissist isn't interested in getting along. They're interested in getting ahead. So in these relationships, narcissistic relationships, the narcissist puts himself first, but so do their partners. So if you like to be, you know, second rather than the leader, that works well. In these relationships, too. Um, Many times, it's a codependent personality. Someone who naturally likes to accommodate. Not make waves. You know, narcissists, their personality type. There are certain personality traits that are inherited. And one of them is agreeableness. Agreeableness. So if you tend to be agreeable, one consistent personality trait among narcissists is that they're disagreeable. So if two narcissists meet, they probably will repel each other like opposite, uh, like the same end of a magnet. You know, they're both going to want to be first. They're going to both have a lot of conflict over whose needs are going to be met. But if you're willing to be number two, that works. And if your self-esteem isn't too good, that works also because you won't mind as much being criticized. Uh, When the narcissist blames you, you'll accept that it's your fault. So if you have issues of uh, shame and low self-esteem, and codependency, it makes you kind of a sitting duck for a narcissist. The other thing is, if your need for intimacy, real intimacy, isn't that strong, that works also because they have trouble with intimacy, but so do codependents. They're usually attracted to someone who is emotionally unavailable and they don't realize that they're emotionally unavailable. They might like to giving advice, or find someone who's needy that depends on them so they don't have to be vulnerable, that they can be uh, the one that's uh, self-sufficient. So that that works. If you've had a narcissist in your in your family, you might find that it's a type of personality you're attracted to. Because we're often attracted to someone that um, reminds us of a parent or or a sibling. Uh, The other thing, narcissists like to be with someone who's going to reflect well on them. So if you're very attractive or very successful or have some sort of status in some way, that will make you attractive to a narcissist. And if you are insecure about being in charge or making decisions or being out there, you might be attracted to someone who's bold and opinionated and takes strong positions. Uh, you might look up to that. so you might tend to idealize that and not realize that later they're gonna be bossing you around. Um, So if you tend to idealize people, you might not realize you're idealizing someone, but they're actually just bragging. And uh, you'll find out later, you know, that it was just a lot of fluff.
1: So once you've been in these relationships and things didn't go well, you got twisted around. In your book, you discuss regaining your sense of self and believing in yourself again. And I know that's a very big question and you can't answer that whole thing. But where would someone begin what's the first step for everyone to to get to where they need to go
0: well the fact that they're listening is good because the first thing is to find out all you can about narcissism Mm -hmm. and learn who you're dealing with because people assume that a narcissist is going to think like they think and like oh i was so giving and helpful and sacrificing but now I'm not getting that in return. So assuming that you're going to be treated the way you treat the narcissist is a mistake. So you have to know who you're dealing with. And then the next thing is get a support system, a therapist, a coach, join uh, Codependence Anonymous, a 12-step program or something that's going to be a support for you because for you to start reclaiming your power is going to be scary in the beginning. And it may be something that you're not used to. Learning to detach. Not take things personally. Because what the narcissist says. Is a reflection of them. As I said they project a lot. And it's a reflection of their mental illness. It's not a statement about you. So you need to start building your self-esteem. and. That's, I mean, I have a webinar and an ebook on uh, building self esteem and overcoming self criticism because that's the first step. Because if you're allowing abuse, if you've been in a relationship, and you don't know how to confront it and set boundaries, it's going to damage your self esteem. Your self esteem may have already not been that high at the beginning of the relationship. Uh, so, Learning, I would say, start writing down all your negative self-talk. Think about how you treat yourself. Because people allow uh, abuse pretty much to the extent that they abuse themselves. So there's sometimes the narcissist is voicing things that you think about yourself that you may not even be realizing. So you have to learn to detach. I, Tell people, Q-tip, quit taking it personally to remember that. Um, And then learning to be assertive and starting to set boundaries. So those are things that people can start to do. And I have a book on how to be assertive uh, and set, yeah, how to speak your mind, become assertive and set limits. And a webinar, too, on how to be assertive. And those are some of the the things that you're going to need to do. To take back your power and rebuild your confidence.
1: So, Darlene, I want to thank you for being a guest once again and sharing your knowledge with everyone, sharing your experience with everyone. And where can everyone once again find you, find your book? And do you have any last words for everyone?
0: Oh, thank you. I have a website called whatiscodependency.com, all one word. If you forget that, just Google my name. And I have another one, Uh But I have tons, like about 200 blogs on there, a lot on narcissism. Uh, if you email me, I'll send you a checklist of narcissistic behaviors. And I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I have a YouTube channel. Um, and a media page on my website with uh, interviews and things. And my book is, uh, you can see it on the homepage of my website, and you can pre-order it on my website. Uh, And it'll be available for sale Monday on Amazon.
1: Well, Darlene, I really want to thank you for being here once again. We'll have all of your information in our show notes so people can reach out to you, uh, find your book. I know it will help a lot of people. You helped a lot of people today. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for being here.
0: Oh, thank you so much for asking me. I really want to help people to um, avoid and improve. Or leave if they decide to, these relationships. And so they don't have to uh, exchange, uh, stay in painful relationships and out of confusion and take back their power. So, thank you very much
1: and you're welcome and for those of you that want to be a guest on our survivor story episodes please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com and at the top of the page there's a button that says guest form when you click on that guest form button it takes you to a page where there's all of these instructions Please do read every little bit of those instructions and then either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or answer us through our guest form form and press that submit button. So please do read all of those instructions. It helps us out a lot. And please, everyone, send in your stories. We can never have enough stories. So please do send them in. And also at NarcissistApocalypse.com. We have our very own safe social network. So if you need some extra support, go click that support group button at the top of the page, and it'll take you to our network. And inside there, we have our own forum boards where people are posting and people are answering. It's a great community. We have our own integrated Zoom meetings every Wednesday night and Saturday night and every other Thursday afternoon. We have episodes that never made it to air. We have ad-free episodes because I know a lot of you dislike the ads a lot so here's an option for you so you don't have to listen to the ads at all and we just have a great group of people on there who are on there supporting each other supporting you supporting everyone and they really enjoy for even there's ones on there that have done a real good amount of healing that just love supporting other people on there so please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com Press that support group button at the top of the page. And if you really just want to support our show and just support us, join our support group. That helps us out a lot too. But if you need even more support, i even say even properly there. I think I said it so quick that it came out sounding weird. But if you need even more support, please do go to domesticshelters.org. They are a friend of our show. And they have articles. They have resources there. They can connect you with local resources. They can connect you with shelters. And they have shelters on there. If you want to donate to shelters as well, you can go to DomesticShelters.org and you can donate. It's not really just money. It's like things like diapers and, and, and uh, little things like that, toothpaste, toothbrushes. So please do go to DomesticShelters.org. Org to access this free resource today. And once again, I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank Darlene Lancer for being a guest on our show once again. And now, on behalf of myself and Darlene Lancer, we hope you have a good night.